And all God's people said, Amen. We don't enter the Tangled series with a view of condemning anybody. Instead, we want to bring God's good news of reconciliation, forgiveness, and hope to those who may already feel condemnation and maybe are condemning of themselves for behaviors that they know dishonor God and are tripping them up and hurting others. We want to bring the word of the gospel to the message, uh, to the situation of your life. King David is the darling of Israel, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the shepherd boy who ascended to the throne. I am named after David in the Bible, and any time I saw his name in Scripture, I took a particular interest in King David. The Messiah would sit on David's throne and be the son of David when he came. And yet we have included in the record of the Bible a story that is a scar on his history. And sometimes I've wondered, as I've read 2 Samuel 11 and 12, God, why did you include this in the Bible? Why tell us about this awful chapter in David's life? And I am convinced that it is included, the famous story of David and Bathsheba, perhaps the most famous account in human history of human infidelity. It is included because God knows it is better for us to see the full picture of David's life. And though some may use these chapters to excuse their own sin, many more will find in them the warning that they are intended to be and also find the reconciliation and forgiveness that David found in the aftermath of his sin. So when we go to the narrative of 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're going saying, God, talk to us. Make us more like you. Help us see in ourselves the weaknesses that brought down this man after your own heart. Help us see you more clearly for having seen David in his sin. Chapter 11, 2 Samuel, verse 1, in the spring. At the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, 
and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. I'm going to read some more of this story. In coming weeks... But I want to use this introductory paragraph to talk about the sin that trips us up maybe more than anything else. Next week, I'm going to show you why David and Bathsheba is not really a love story. And I want you to see that in the text. But this week, I want to talk to you about pride and how a shepherd boy ended up the king and then a liar, an adulterer, and a murderer. It's pride that gets to you, you know. It was Dr. James Dobson who first observed to me in my experience that most men commit adultery for ego needs, not sexual needs. It's their ego. It's their ego that gets to them. I think that's what happened to David. David fell in the sin of pride. Pride does things to you, insidious things, things that creep into your life. You forget where you came from. You start believing the press reports about yourself. You start thinking about what a great thing you've done in moving from that small town of Bethlehem to the big city of Jerusalem, from taking care of the flocks to now sitting on the throne. See, David knew it was the grace of God that put him on this throne. He is reigning from Jerusalem because God picked him. Long before he was able to demonstrate any capacity to rule Israel, when Samuel the prophet sent to Jesse and said, I want to see your boys. Jesse gathered his older sons together and paraded them before Samuel the prophet, the great prophet of Israel. And Samuel looked at one after the other and he said to Jesse, God's not chosen any of these. Is this it? Is this all you've got? And Jesse said, well, there is the littlest one, David, but I just left him out in the field taking care of the sheep. And Samuel said, we're not going to sit down till he comes. They sent a messenger out in the fields around Bethlehem to find David, the shepherd boy, tending the sheep. 
throwing rocks in a creek, chasing little critters, frittering the afternoon away. And the messenger says, your father wants you home. I'll take care of the sheep. And the little shepherd boy makes his way home wondering what in the world is going on. And the great prophet of God and his father and his brothers stand on their feet in attention when the little shepherd boy enters the house. And Samuel says, kneel before the Lord. And he takes the anointing oil and he pours it on the head of this young boy. And as the oil courses down his face, David knows without a doubt it's not because of what he's done. He hadn't done a thing. It's under the providence and the grace of God that he is set to take the throne of Israel. Somehow, he forgot. Like we all do. We have our accomplishments, we advance in the company, we accumulate possessions, influence, and power. And sometimes we look at ourselves and we think, you've done grand, you've done good. Look at all you've accomplished. You are really something. The scripture says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The greatest protection you have is your humility. Humility surrounds you like a high wall of your city. If you'll continually wake up every morning and walk every step knowing it is only the grace of God by which you stand, giving God the glory and God the praise for every good thing that comes your way. Did you work hard? Sure you did. Did you make some smart decisions? Maybe you did. Did you give good leadership? Perhaps. But the hands you used and the mouth you used and the brain you used and the feet you used and every good thing you've got that's exercised in those ways is a gift. And the heartbeat that comes next is a gift from God. There is nothing that so prepares you to defeat temptation, to stay the course, than the humble spirit which says, I am a servant of God. I am here by his grace. David didn't forget where he came from geographically. He's only moved five or six miles from the little pasture outside of Bethlehem to the throne of Israel in Jerusalem. He forgot, though, his history with God for a moment and full of himself. He stayed home when he should have gone to war. He slept when he should have been in the field with his men. And he ended up on the house rooftop when he should have been in the company of his soldiers. Don't let pride say to you, you're a self-made man because pride will trip you up as it did David. Pride entices you to play with fire. Pride says, I can handle this. This is not going to get to me. Pride overestimates your ability 
to resist temptation. The strongest immunity you have toward temptation is your humility before God. When you lose that, you've got whatever self-will is left. And David sends to find out about this woman that he sees. I wonder if he debated in his mind if he was going to do it. I wonder if there was a discussion within himself about taking this step to find out who she is. All the men in the city are gone. They're all encamped against the Ammonites. He says, I can handle this. I can find out who she is. There's no crime in that. And he takes an incremental step toward the disaster that will befall him. You play with fire. I remember the moment when I picked up one of my friends in my truck and we went to a deserted country road and I stopped and I turned the engine off and I know he was thinking what's this and I turned to my friend and I called him by name and I said your house is on fire and you're going to lose it all if you don't change course and he said he pretended like he was innocent he said what are you talking about and I said I know about your affair He continued to defend himself. He didn't believe that his house was on fire. And he lost his marriage and his home. He actually lost his, his house and almost lost his life in ensuing incidents after that initial moment when I said to him, your house is on fire. Now, this is what I want you to get. Pride will say to you, you can handle this, you can contain it, you are in control. Humility will say to you, back off, step back, you're a servant of God, it's by his grace that you take your breath, and you can't go where you're taking these steps to go. You can't be that person, you can't do this thing. You are playing with fire and you need to stop. See, pride will make you say, I'm in charge, I can do it if I want to. People who are full of pride reject the moral code, the law of God in favor of their own moral code and law of God. Maybe, maybe David said to himself, you know, the law applies to people in Israel, but not to the king. Maybe he fooled himself with some kind of statement like that. You know, I can do this. I'm the king. Nobody will ever know. Could be written on the face of every indiscretion. Nobody will ever know. I'll have my way with her and send her home and her husband will be none the wiser. 
God said in the seventh commandment of the ten, no adultery. It's just as plain as no lying, no stealing, and no murder. And the commands are related together and they overlap. By the time David is done, he will have broken four of them. No lying, no stealing, no murder, no coveting. And he will set a fire in his house that will burn not just for his lifetime, but for generations. Four of his own sons will die. The horrors and atrocities that visit the dynasty of David are chronicled for us to see. You do not break the law of God. It breaks you. The scripture says of the law, whoever falls on the law will be broken. But on whomever the law falls, it will smash into pieces. Some people blame the preacher for laws like no adultery, no stealing, no lying. They say, well, I don't care what that preacher says. Well, truthfully, depending on the preacher, you know, I might agree with you. <laughs> I don't care what the preacher says. Some people think it's the church, you know. The church says these things. I'm not following the church's teaching, you know. I'm, I'm charting my own course. I'm going my own way. Okay, I get you. You are kind of going against the counsel maybe of your parents, your grandparents, your pastor, the church. You decided to enter into this relationship even though none of them would say that's good. But you are a person, are you not, who believes that the creator God made you, designed you. You do believe this, right? You do believe that God loves you and he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sin. Have you ever confessed that Jesus is Lord? Don't you see that your defiance of the law, which is there to teach you, your defiance of the law is you shaking your fist at the almighty God. I didn't make up this law. This is not simply the teaching of the church or the teaching of a pastor or even the teaching of the sages and of the ages. It is the teaching and the law of the ageless one. It is the law of God. And when God gave these commands to Israel, his covenant people, he gave them in order to protect them, to watch over them. These laws will do you good, God said to them, and it will be good and a blessing for you if you keep them. It is pride that creeps into our heart and we begin to say, well, has God really said thou shalt not? Maybe that wasn't God. The serpent in the garden talked to Adam and Eve, said, hey, has God really said you can't eat that fruit? <laughs> what a joke. You know what God's worried about, really? When you eat this fruit, you're going to be so smart, 
You're going to be a man of the world. You're going to be a woman of the world. You're going to learn how things really work as a human being on the planet. Oh, you're going to be so smart, so inside of everything. Once you eat this fruit, it's going to be good for you. You're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. It's the common temptation of pride. I want to be in charge of my world. I want to do my own thing. Nobody can tell me otherwise, and it's true. You are a free moral agent, but I don't want you to leave this room thinking, well, that's what the preacher says. I want you to leave this room contemplating the truth that God distilled his heart in ten commands that protect his covenant people. And one of those is no adultery. And David the king, a man after God's own heart, got so full of himself that one day he said, I'm going to do it anyway. Now, you think you're in control, all right? You think you got the power to control the situation. That's what pride tells you. And David's got the power to stay home when he ought to go to the field. He's got the power to walk around on his roof and see a beautiful woman. He's got the power to send a messenger to her and find out who she is. In fact, he's got the power to deploy a couple of his people and bring her back to his bed. But how much power has he got when the woman says, I am pregnant? You think you can contain this thing, that you've settled it all down, that you've stamped out the collateral damage and you've got it all set, and so it's going to be fine. And the scripture says, your sin will find you out. First thing your sin will do is it will find you, a friend. The betrayal of not only God's covenant with you, but your covenant with your wife, your promises to yourself, the intentions you had, the good intentions, that's the first place your sin will find you out is right here. And it won't be long before the stuff you thought you had under control will seep away out of your control as it did with David. You know, in, in AA, when you finally hit rock bottom and you don't know what to do and you're your addiction has so captured your life that it controls every relationship and your calendar and the way you go about your business and you realize, I cannot live like this anymore. And you sit down and show up the meeting. You know what the first step is? I've got to admit that my life has become 
unmanageable. And I have lost whatever control I had. It's the issue of control that you must first address if you're going to be free of the thing that entangles you. And the steps that follow are you give control to the one who controls it all. AA calls it the higher power. But for the guys who wrote the book, it was the Lord Jesus. You give control to God. You give it back to him. You say, Lord, show me the way. Man, I've lost the way. I can't handle this like I thought I could. It's got away from me. And the 12 steps begin with an understanding that pride has tangled you up, tripped you up. You thought you could control it, but you cannot. And your life has gone somewhere now where you do not want it to be. I said at the beginning, I want this to be not condemnation, but reconciliation and restoration. And here is the word of hope. The man who took Bathsheba to his bed will one day write against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this thing in your sight Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. It is David who later on pleads for the forgiveness of God in his confession and receives it and rejoices in it and lives in that forgiveness for the rest of his days. There is a place of peace for you near to the heart of God. Even though the thing that has tangled you up has made you feel undone and maybe dirty and unworthy, there's a place near to the heart of God that the Father wants to bring you that is a place of healing and comfort, security and peace. And there is no other place on earth like this place where you can come to the Father and say, I've lost control. And I want you to forgive my sin and bring me back to the place you want me to be. Louis Cottrell's testimony is in your worship guide. I love the way that Suzette Adair talked about Louis in that story. Louis felt that when he trusted Christ and received God's forgiveness in the year 2000, that he had come home. Hey, I know where home is for you. It's the Father's house. And you will never know so much peace, joy, and love as when you come home to the Father who loves you. Bow with me, please.
And as we bow together now, we've got to do this individually. Because getting tangled up, that's something that happens to us. So maybe you just need to listen to the Holy Spirit and see if there's any arrogance or haughtiness or pride in you and confess that to God. Lord, I pray for somebody here who just got full of themselves and needs to again embrace the humility that anchors itself in the grace of God. Lord, call them back. Bring them near you. God, I pray for those who may have broken your law that today they might just confess it to you and experience the wonderful, amazing grace that goes deeper than all our sin and cleanses us completely from the inside out. God, let that happen to somebody in this room. I pray for the person who's playing with fire, that they'll step back from the edge, confess you again as Lord, and turn from that direction they were going. I pray for somebody who thinks they've got it all under control, but it's not under your control. That, Lord, today you will call us to yourself. Be to us the sovereign Lord, unmatchable, amazing and incomparable. And do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can come to the Father and say, I've lost control. And I want you to forgive my sin and bring me back to the place you want me to be. Lewis Cottrell's testimony is in your worship guide. I love the way that Suzette Adair talked about Lewis in that story. Lewis felt that when he trusted Christ and received God's forgiveness in the year 2000, that he had come home. Hey, I know where home is for you. It's the Father's house. And you will never know so much peace, joy, and love as when you come home to the Father who loves you. Bow with me, please. And as we bow together now, we've got to do this individually. Because getting tangled up, that's something that happens to us. So maybe you just need to listen to the Holy Spirit and see if there's any arrogance or haughtiness or pride in you and confess that to God. Lord, I pray for somebody here who just got full of themselves and needs to again embrace the humility that anchors itself in the grace of God. Lord, call them back. Bring them near you. God, I pray for those who may have broken your law, that today 
they might just confess it to you and experience the wonderful, amazing grace that goes deeper than all our sin and cleanses us completely from the inside out. God, let that happen to somebody in this room. I pray for the person who's playing with fire, that they'll step back from the edge, confess you again as Lord, and turn from that direction they were going. I pray for somebody who thinks they've got it all under control, but it's not under your control. That, Lord, today you will call us to yourself be to us the sovereign Lord, unmatchable, amazing and incomparable. And do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.